Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Jeff Cook. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, And I also want to pause. And if you are a father, um, spiritual, adoptive, foster, step, biological, or otherwise, uh, I just want to say happy Father's Day to you. And and to stop you from, because I move, to stop you from trying to read this shirt, I'm just going to tell you what it's about. Um, This is designed by my boys and executed by my wife because my kids know me. They don't do ties. They do T-shirts. It says... Rad dad, like a regular dad with huger muscles and way more tattoos and an awesome beard and killer dad jokes and three wild boys who know he's the best dad ever. Yeah. That, it's like a man tear moment. Um, all right, so now that's out of the way. We can kind of move forward. Uh, so we are kicking off a new series Uh, entitled Superlatives. You know, uh, if you've been around Lake Forest for a while, you know we like to have fun. Uh, And so we'll be kind of joking around a little bit, but really what we want people to see is how faith played itself out in the lives of these folks from Scripture that we're going to be talking about. Um, And so it kind of makes sense that this morning we would start with Abraham, right, because he is the father of our faith. Now, the fact that it's Father's Day is really just a happy coincidence. I'd like to tell you we planned it that way, but uh, so, so before we get into that, I thought it might be interesting, you know, and I might be the only nerd that cares about this, but you have to listen. So um, I, there are different ways that people prepare messages, right? So like if, if I know that I'm preaching on a certain passage, then I will read it over and over and over and over again. I'll pray. I'll look at different translations and kind of wait. And, and usually God prompts me in some direction from that. Um, if it is a topical study, I usually do like a word study. Like where, where is this word used over and over again in Scripture? What was the original language, the context, all that kind of stuff? And if it's a narrative, like if we're looking at a story, it could really come from anywhere. Uh, now this, because we're looking at the life of Abraham, but we want to see faith, it's a little bit of a mixture. And so for me, this actually started from, uh, from church wisdom, right? From a, an adage that is just, it's ancient church wisdom uh, that has been passed down from generation to generation. And I thought, before I go, why not share with you that adage? You may or may not have heard it before, but it goes like this. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and you are too. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. Can I get a right arm? Yes. So if you are not laughing, you probably, much like me, didn't grow up in a Protestant church. Um, that's just a, you know, a Bible story. But I'll tell you, look it up on YouTube. It'll be stuck in your head forever. Uh, but there's something in that that's really important, and that's that Abraham is seen as father. Right? It's this idea of father that's so important. Um, and so because he's the father of our faith, it makes sense to talk about him today. Now, if we want to find faith, in the life of Abraham, we need to define what that is because faith is one of those words that can mean different things to different people. Um, And so you gotta ask yourself, what is faith? Well, fortunately, Hebrews 11 gives us a very succinct uh, 
definition, it says this. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is assurance in things hoped for and confidence in what we cannot see. That still feels a little weird to me. And when I was thinking about it, I actually was reminded of when I first started to have a relationship with God, when I first started trying to live by faith, and I felt kind of confused, right? Is this faith? Is this trust? Um, And so I went to Merriam-Webster's dictionary, and it defined for me faith and trust. They're actually real similar with one major difference. So faith in the dictionary is defined as a belief without factual evidence, Whereas trust is belief with factual evidence. So on the one hand, we don't have any evidence. On the other, we do. On the one hand, we're looking at the facts of a situation. The where, the when, the what. And in the other, we are called to belief where we lack those things. And so with that understanding, when I go back to the biblical definition from faith, it lines up. Right? Faith is assurance in things hoped for. If I'm hoping for it, I don't have it yet. But faith lets me be certain in something I cannot be certain of. It is confidence in what we cannot see. And that word see, it's the idea to observe. So I'm, I'm able to be confident where I shouldn't be able to. And we start to see that faith allows us to do the things that this world says we can't. It lets us mourn and rejoice. It lets us be afraid and press forward. It's what lets us live in this world but be citizens of heaven. Faith is the thing that lets followers of Jesus play by a different set of rules. Faith frees us from the captivity of our circumstances. Father Abraham's life is pivotal in our ability to exercise this faith. And it also gives some pretty good examples. Now, disclaimer, there is a ton of information about Abraham's life in Scripture. And if we were to try and preach the entire thing, we'd all be here for three weeks. Um, So we are going to look at three pivotal moments in Abraham's life, but it's not meant to be exhaustive. There is a lot we will not talk about. But there are, but the three things we are going to talk about really should highlight what faith looks like. So we're going to start in Genesis 12.1, but I need to give you a little backdrop. Um, So first off, you're going to notice that Abraham's name at birth was Abram. We'll talk about that in a minute. But Abram just means father. And at this point in Abram's life, He's living in the city of Ur. He's with his entire extended family, living a very safe and comfortable life. But safe and comfortable life is different to him than it would be to us. Because at that time, to live in a city in that culture doesn't just mean you can find an open Starbucks at 3 a.m. It means you've got food and water. It means you have protection from very real dangers to your life. And to be still with your family would be a comfortable, very protective thing. So when we start at Genesis 12:1, understand that Abram at this point is in the safest, most comfortable place he can be. We read in 12:1, now the Lord said to Abram, "Go from your country 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm sorry, go where? Like, I'm, I'm good over here. And you want me to go where I don't know? Now, that, that could feel like a foreign, ancient, biblical thing. So let me try and bring that present day for you. Um, I have three boys. The five-year-old's name is Judah. Uh, and Judah has a stuffed snow leopard about yay big, whose name is Snowspot. The thing you need to know about Snowspot is Snowspot is a bedtime essential. There is no sleeping without Snowspot. And so a couple of weeks ago, uh, at the end of a very busy day, I was out all day doing stuff. There were, Rebecca had like three different playdates with the kids. Like it was just nuts. And we finally get to bedtime. We do the bed stuff. Uh, I, you know, pray with the boys. I say goodnight. And I go to get in bed. Rebecca's still saying goodnight to them. And it was one of those nights where, like, we put fresh sheets on the bed. And, like, I made it before I got in it so the sheets are cool and crisp. Um, and, and I get in that bed, and I hear the three words you do not want to hear come out of my boy's mouth. Where is snow spot? And I take a breath because I know what's coming next. And it did. And I hear my wife from the other room, can you go get snow spot? And so I'm trying to be a follower of Jesus and get out of bed with a good attitude. And I brace myself to do that. And as I do, I'm saying to her, and really to Judah, okay, well, where's, where is he? And then I hear the real three words you don't ever want to hear, I don't know. <laughs> and, I dra and I'm telling you, 45 minutes, we tossed that house like the SWAT team looking for a bomb. Um, and, it, and ultimately, it was outside in the backyard. But... <laughs> But point being, right, it was hard enough for me to get out of that bed when I thought I was just going to go downstairs to a certain spot and come back up when I don't know. Man, does that change the story. And, and that's what Abraham was called into in this moment. But he did it, right? He did it, and a whole bunch of things happened that we don't have time to talk about. But what you need to know is he went. He went and he settled, and part of this thing that God was talking to him about wasn't just that he had to go to a place that God would show him, but that he would ultimately have a family, right? Because family was essential in those days. It was incredibly important. And so when we pick up in Genesis 17:5, we see that God says to Abraham, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. So real quickly, Abram means father. Abraham means father of many. But when we read this, we see that he says, I have made you a multitude of nations. Now, at this point, Abraham may have tried to do it artificially, but Abraham does not have children as God told him he was going to have. Not only that, but he's pretty on in years. So he's sitting there saying, I'm sorry, you're telling me to be something that I am not yet. So when? Like, I'll believe you because you're God. But when? When will I? And I have found this to be true in a lot of things that have happened in my life. All kinds of roles that God allowed me to play. Right? Husband, father, pastor, like, there pretty much hasn't been a single role that I believe God led me into that I didn't step into it and kind of think to myself, 
you sure about this, God? Like, do you really? Because I don't think I can do this. Now, I'm going to trust you, but when is this going to feel right? And every time, he's always come through. He's always supplied everything I've needed, but he does it in his timing. Right? So, so this is Abraham. He's like, all right, God, I'm going to believe you in this, but I got no kids, and you're telling me I'm going to be the father of many. Well, as we track forward in the story, we see that he does, in fact, have a miracle child, Isaac. Right now, he's in his very late 90s, as is his wife, who was never able to have children before. So this is, in every way, God providing a miracle. He's delivering on the promise that he's made to Abraham. And then we get to Genesis 22, too. And this is, this is a difficult passage to preach about, um, but... We'll just look at, at 22.2, and then we'll talk about it. So he, God, says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I'm sorry, God, you want me to sacrifice what? We're going to set aside just for now the horror of what he's being called to sacrifice, but look at it figuratively, right? Look at it metaphorically, because really what's happening for Abraham beyond all those circumstances is that, is that God finally made him what God said he would make him, and now he's being asked to sacrifice it? I'm sorry, I am finally what you told me I'd be, and now you want me to give it up for you? So, so when we look at these three moments of the father of our faith, we realize that what he's actually being called into by God, what he's being told by God is go where you don't know. To be what I haven't made you yet, and once you are, sacrifice it for me. Sounds terrible. I wouldn't want any part of any of that. But there's two things that I need you to understand. One is cultural and one is theological. And they will make all this make a whole lot more sense. The first one is cultural. And just need to know that fathers at that time in the family really mainly played the role of making deals even more than deals, they entered into covenants, right? Because a covenant is a deal, but it's more about relationship. It's about who I'm going to be to you and who you're going to be to me. And so Father Abraham would have had that kind of authority to enter into those covenants. The other thing I need you to know, the theological piece, is that when you look at Scripture, like say from Adam and Eve in the garden— all the way up through Jesus dying on the cross. We really see two covenants between God and human beings, right? Two times where God's like, look, this is what you're going to do and who you're going to be. This is what I'm going to do and who I'm going to be. And the first is referred to as a covenant of works, um, which is what we see with Adam and Eve in the garden, right? So, so God says to them, look, I'm going to be your God. We're going to be tight. Just don't eat the fruit off that tree, right? This is a covenant based on Adam and Eve's behavior. It's based on what they do or don't do 
whether or not they're able to earn into that. The second one we see is a covenant of grace, right? Grace is defined as unmerited favor. So grace isn't about what I've earned. It's not about what I do or what I don't do or about my works. It's something, honestly, I don't, I don't deserve. And so the covenant of grace, right, where God says we are going to be in this thing, but not based on what you do. First thing that comes to my mind is Jesus on the cross, right, dying to pay the price for my sins so that I could have a relationship with God. And that is the covenant of grace, but the covenant of grace initiated through Abraham and was fulfilled in Jesus. That's why he's the father of our faith. That's why his life is so important because what's happening here between Abraham and God isn't a go do this. It's covenantal language, which means that if I go back and I look at this again, I should see God saying much more than just go do these things. And we do. If we go back to Genesis 12.1, where God said, go where you don't know. But we read on, verses 2 and 3 say, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Right? He's trying to let him know, yeah, go where you don't know, but, but know that wherever you go, I am. You won't be alone. I will be with you. When we look at, at Genesis 17, 5, where God told Abraham, be what you aren't yet. Right? And we continue on in the very next verses. He says, God says to Abraham, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. So God isn't just saying to him, be what you aren't yet. He's saying, I'm going to give you everything you need to be who I made you. But in my timing. And finally, when we look at Genesis 22, this really difficult place where Abraham is being called, he's saying, listen, you finally are what I promised you, but now I want you to the willingness, and at the last moment, God sends an angel who says, stop. Do not lay a hand on that boy. And God provides a ram that Abraham is able to sacrifice in place of his son. And we realize he wasn't actually asking him to make the sacrifice. He was asking him to keep, God was asking Abraham to keep God first to let that relationship be the thing that mattered most. And as we read further on in that story, in, in uh, verses 15 through 18, we read, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from the heavens. 
and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So he's, he's not just asking him to sacrifice the thing. He's trying to get him see that the thing was never the point. And, and so on the one hand, when we look at what happened between God and Abraham with our eyes fixed on, on the facts of the situation, right, on the circumstances, on the where, the when, and the what, it seems like God is saying to him, go where you don't know to be what I haven't made you yet, and once you are, give it up for me. Which doesn't sound like the kind of God that I know. But when I look at this through the eyes of faith, right, in the context of covenant, of relationship, I realize that, yeah, he did say that to Abraham, but that's not all he's saying. He's saying, no, that wherever you go, I am. And that I will give you all that you need to be who I made you to be in my timing. Not so that you can have enough, but so that you can realize that I'm enough. This is about a relationship. When we look at this through the facts of the situation, the where, the when, and the what, we are held captive by those circumstances. But when we look at this through the eyes of faith, we see something so different. Because listen, faith isn't concerned with those circumstances. Faith does not look to the where, the when, or the what. It looks to the who. This is why I hate the expression blind faith. Because that kind of faith only looks blind if you can't tell who it's looking at. There are a lot of practical ways to play this out. But just to give you a, a snapshot of what that could look like in life present day, um, I, would, I would draw your attention to Lake Forest Davidson. Right, to, to our church. Right now, 10-ish years ago, um, God was being very generous with all the people that were coming here, and, and there was a decision made that in honor of that, we want to step out in faith and start planting other churches. I'm quite sure they didn't know exactly where, exactly when, or exactly what was going to be required, but it was a step of faith, and that faith was simply a trust in God. And as a result, eight, seven, eight years later, they're actually looking to purchase land in Davidson. If you live in this area, buying land in Davidson is a miracle baby, right? <laughs> On Main Street. Um, but that's just, that's one example, right? And so the cool thing about the body of Christ gathering together is that we can participate in that 
through the vote, right? Like we still get to be a part of that cool thing that God is doing on a more individual level. And this is going to sound super basic, but please believe me because I've done this and I've, and I've enjoyed the fruit of it. When you find yourself in life feeling discouraged or frustrated or scared because of something that's facing you, the cur- my encouragement is this. Get four pieces of paper and write on them respectively where, when, what, and who. And then sit down with that first piece of paper and just ask yourself, when I'm being called to, to go, I'm being called to move from where I am, whether that's spiritual, figurative, or literal, where? Write about it. Write out everything that is on hand, your fears, your worries, your hopes, your dreams. Just put it on paper. Two sentences or three pages, doesn't matter. Just whatever's there, put it down. And then do the same thing with when, right? You have been working and waiting, and you're running out of patience and starting to feel discouraged when, God. Write it out on the paper. And finally, the the what. What are you called to sacrifice in this thing? And don't try and be spiritual about it. Don't try and write the right church. Like, just be honest with God on paper. And then sit down with the paper that says who and look back over the other ones. And just, I, I pray and I ask God, like, God, please reveal yourself to me through my writing. And look for God. Where do you see the God that you know in those pages? And I promise you, that has made some dramatic changes in my life, just setting aside the 30 minutes to do that. Now, that, that assumes that you're a follower of Jesus. And one of the things I love about Lake Forest is that we don't ever assume that. And so if, if you're not, and I'm standing up here encouraging you to look for a God that you're not sure what he looks like, then I want to take my last couple of minutes and I want to describe to you what that God is that I'm talking about. Um, there is, so when I was talking about the covenant of, of grace and I talked about Jesus dying on the cross, right, there is a, a book in the Bible called John and there is a verse in it that is arguably the most popular biblical verse and that is that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. What that is trying to encapsulate is that Jesus was the son of God who came down here, walked this earth, and died on a cross to pay the price for our sin so that you and I could enter back into relationship, back into covenant with God. And what's interesting that I realized as I was studying for this message is that the place that Abraham was told to go to be willing to sacrifice his son is the the mountain range of Moriah, which exists right around Jerusalem. And, And the hill where Jesus was crucified exists right around the city of Jerusalem. And so scholars will agree there is a high probability 
that there was a real close proximity geographically to the place where God asked Abraham to be willing to sacrifice his son for the sake of their relationship and the place where God literally sacrificed his son for the sake of our relationship. That is the God that we serve. And that is the God that I'm talking about. So if, if you are here and you don't know God or have a relationship with him, and if you find yourself frustrated and disappointed and scared and discouraged by this life, ask yourself, are you looking at the where, the when, and the what? And if the answer is yes, why not try looking at a who? And if that feels right to you, please let me suggest Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we will never fully understand the sacrifice of your son, the sacrifice that you made to ensure this covenant between us and you. Uh, but Lord, would you give us eyes to see you in all the circumstances of our lives, to, to trust in our relationship with you rather than what you can do in our circumstances. We know that it will be difficult, uh, but nothing that you can overcome. We ask these things in your name. Amen.